Good afternoon. The time is 2 o'clock. Welcome to Vox Pop for this Monday, February 26th. I'm Ray Graff. Support for Medical Monday comes from Koksaki Dental Arts, providing dental care for over 20 years, helping patients smile with confidence. More information at koksakidentist.com. Joining us this afternoon is Dr. Siobhan Kuhar of Albany ENT and Allergy Services. Dr. Kuhar practices general otolaryngology with a special interest in sleep medicine. She treats patients with clinical disorders involving the ear, nose, and throat, both medically and surgically, as well as those specifically related to sleep. If you have a question for Dr. Kuhar, 800-348-2551 is our number, 800-348-2551, or you can email voxpop at wamc.org. Dr. Siobhan Kuhar and... Coming up. Hello again. Welcome back to Vox Pop, WAMC's live call-in talk show. I'm Ray Graff. In the studio for this Medical Monday is Dr. Siobhan Kuhar. Since joining Albany ENT and Allergy Services in 2005 as a general otolaryngologist, Dr. Kuhar went on to receive board certification in the subspecialties allergy and sleep medicine, Dr. Kuhar treats patients with clinical disorders involving the ear, nose, and throat, both medically and surgically, as well as those specifically related to sleep. In fact, she recently spearheaded the introduction of hypoglossal nerve stimulation to treat obstructive sleep apnea in the capital region. Number to call if you have a question is 800-348-2551. 1-800-348-2551. You can also email us at voxpop at wamc.org, voxpop at wamc.org. Dr. Kuhar, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Ray. Great to have you back on, on here. It's been a while. A while back, a couple few years ago, there was a terrible, uh, I don't want to say a dearth, but it was definitely a slowdown on CPAP machines, and it affected a great number of people across the country, presumably the world. Has that sort of been mitigated? Yes, that seems to have pretty much subsided now. Um, patients can anticipate now that um, they can receive their PAP devices typically within a one-month period of time. Um, but you're absolutely right. During uh, the pandemic with supply chain and then um, we were talking earlier about uh, recall of uh, one of the main manufacturers. Um, that was a real problem. Why was that particular manufacturer's <coughs> device recalled? I never did sure. find out. Um, so uh, patients had been reporting that they were seeing debris in their tubing and oh, in their mask. Yeah. And when it was investigated, what they found was that the insulation that was used in their sound abatement was breaking down in at least some of the devices. Um, there was concern that perhaps it was related to a um, ozone cleaning device that um, many patients had started using for their PAP uh, therapy, but that has not been definitively um, demonstrated. Is CPAP still the number one go-to for those with uh, apnea? Yes, um, it's still considered our gold standard, positive airway pressure therapy, whether that's auto-PAP, CPAP, which stands for Continuous Positive Airway Pressure, or a, a device called a BiPAP, which is a similar device but just has a, a unique way in which the pressure is delivered. Well, I've never heard of AutoPAP. What's that? So AutoPAP is um, where a device is given a range of pressure rather than one set pressure. So for a CPAP device, um, you need to select a pressure. And so in order to do that, you have to have a person come into a sleep lab and 
basically undergo what's called a titration study to determine what is the exact pressure for the worst of their sleep apnea. But these days, we'll often use an auto-adjusting positive airway pressure device where basically we set for a range of pressure, and then the device will is sophisticated enough that can automatically adjust the pressure depending on what's needed. For many patients, this is actually a real benefit because they may have sleep apnea only in certain positions or during certain stages of their sleep. You know, I was thinking about this this morning. I found out I had sleep apnea years ago, and it's thankfully not a, not an issue anymore. I found it from my wife. What if you sleep or live alone? How are you going to find out? What are the signs that you have sleep apnea? Sure. Now, for some people, they'll have very little. You know, it's been maybe present for much of their life, and so um, they may think of it as sort of a normal you know, way to feel um, in terms of not feeling as though their sleep is restorative, that sort of thing. But, um, you know, clues would be excessive daytime sleepiness, of course, Um, waking up with headaches in the morning, and then there are medical um, uh, ailments that have been associated with sleep apnea, such as hypertension, diabetes, that sort of thing. Dr. Siobhan Kuhar is our guest today. Dr. Kuhar is with Albany ENT and Allergy Services. She has a special focus on sleep disorders, but can probably answer quite a few questions you have if they're not in that particular realm. 800-348-2551 is the number. 800-348-2551. Now, you know, I asked about whether CPAP was still the gold standard because you see a lot of ads now with newfangled devices that are not CPAP machines that are supposed to do basically the same thing. So there are a number of products out there. I think probably the number two, if you will, for um, uh, treatment of sleep apnea would be devices that fall under the category of mandibular advancement devices. So these are retainer-like devices that are made typically by a dentist or an oral surgeon. So it's an appliance. An appliance, yeah, exactly. So they mold it to the teeth, and then it's adjustable to bring the lower jaw forward. The downside is it can shift the teeth. It can put some stress on the TMJ joint. You can't get uh, data or feedback with regard to hours of use or the effectiveness of treatment, but it can be very effective for those who can't tolerate positive airway pressure therapy as long as they have enough dentition, as long as they have enough teeth in place. (laughs) Now, you were, and we mentioned it in the introduction, that you were one of the pioneers in this region of hypoglossal nerve stimulation. What is that? Sure. So um, for patients who have moderate to severe sleep apnea, who have been intolerant to PAP therapy, Um, And there are lots of different reasons, but one of the primary ones I find is claustrophobia, uh, inability to really acclimate to the use of the the mask interface for for the uh, PAP devices, then um, there is an option of hypoglossal nerve stimulation. So um, the only device that's currently on the market and approved by the FDA is one called Inspire. And they've certainly, you know, we see a lot of advertising on that. Um, But um, again, the criteria are people with moderate to severe sleep apnea have tried CPAP, can't tolerate it. And there are also weight requirements that, um, you know, are part of the process of insurance, um, you know, authorization and things like that. Um, so, um, really? So yeah. the, if there were no insurance 
requirements along these lines would you would you prescribe it to heavier folks so actually quite recently the FDA changed their recommendations um, to reflect BMIs up to 40 and if we consider that obesity is a BMI of 30 I know BMI not everybody is you know um, necessarily familiar with but um, those calculators are available online and basically it's just a a number that takes in account the height and the weight of a person. But um, in fact, they don't know what the upper limit is. It's just that the initial um, studies for the FDA approval in 2014 um, selected patients of a certain body mass index to be in that study. And so this is how it came about. Subsequent papers have shown that even higher BMIs, and now the FDA has said even up to a BMI of 40, but unfortunately, insurance carriers have not uh, you know, necessarily changed over their um, you know, criteria yet, although it does give you some basis for argument. The, and does that work, arguing? Um, insurance it can. Okay, fair it can. Well, we'll leave that alone for now. Dr. Siobhan Kuhar joins us today. We talk about sleep issues, and we can talk about other things an otolaryngologist would do. Uh, Dr. Kuhar is with Albany ENT and Allergy Services. The number here is 800-348-2551. So the hypoglossal nerve stimulation, there's one approved device on the market. How are the outcomes in comparison to CPAPs? Sure. So I always tell my patients CPAP is still our gold standard. You know, I I hope to do nearly as well as a CPAP, but I know, you know, from the literature that's out there to get an equal result to a CPAP only occurs, you know, 55 to 60 percent of the time. Um, Certainly, surgical success is quite high, but that's a definition. So surgical success means that you've reduced the severity by at least half and under what we would consider moderate sleep apnea. So um, again, you it's very important, I think, to um, kind of go into decisions around surgery with very clear uh, goals in mind and, you know, understanding that, you know, this may not be the best therapy um, for treatment, but, you know, if no treatment is the other option, then, yeah. you know, clearly this is the conversation we have. You asked me earlier how it works, and um, the way that it works is we actually stimulate the nerve um, that moves the tongue, but branches of that nerve that move your tongue forward and stiffen it, and it's also tied to our respiration. So every time you take a breath in, the device stimulates these branches of the hypoglossal nerves to move the tongue out of the airway. So in a way, it's sort of like a pacemaker? Actually, it's based on pacemaker technology. Um, the device itself, I actually brought one. Not that it helps really? our audience, oh, but one I figure here. I'd show you Hopefully what they look put, like. I won't put too many people to sleep you during the program. It. So it's a, it's a little... It looks like a pacemaker. Op- yeah. And this, oh, does this open up or is this no, sealed? No, that's sealed. So this is, um, I mean, it's small. It's the size, it's perhaps the width of two quarters. Exactly. And the, the thickness of about six quarters. So that's one of the three components of an Inspire. So the other two components are the nerve stimulator cuff, which um, we identify the nerve, which sits in the neck under the submandibular gland, again, using uh, um, electrodes in the tongue and also... Uh, testing the actual movement of the tongue, we identify those branches that move your tongue forward and stiffen and put an electrode around that and bring a wire into the chest, connects to this device, and behind this device goes a breathing sensor. So it's time to breathing. 
Now, is that a lifetime implant or so, will that have a shelf life? This has a battery that lasts 11 years. So after 11 years, you do have to um, replace the pulse generator, which is the the brains in the battery. So the device that I just described, it's a little metallic uh, thing. It looks like a tiny little makeup compact. Where does that go? You, clearly, you're not putting that in the back of the throat, are you? No, this goes in the right side of the chest. So ah, the difference and, between Inspire and most other surgeries for sleep apnea is you're not operating directly in the airway. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Uh, number here is 800-348-2551. 800-348-2551. About ready to take some calls here. Dr. Siobhan Kuhar joins us. We will get to your calls. You can also email him, voxpop at wamc.org. We'll get to all of that after this. John Schofield here, a little bumper music for you. That's King of Belgium, I think. Zach, am I right on that? Yeah, that's King of Belgium from John Schofield. That's our bumper music here on a Medical Monday. Sleep. We'll talk sleep with Dr. Siobhan Kuhar today of Albany ENT and Allergy Services. How much sleep do we need, honestly? So for adults? Yes. Generally somewhere in the range of six to nine hours. So think of a bell curve. Okay. You know, and you have, of course, the extremes, you know, the people who do perfectly fine with five hours of sleep. And then the other end who, you know, if you get less than 11 or 12 hours, they're a wreck. And then everybody in the middle. So they estimate that that peak is about seven and a half. Okay. Uh, Now, myth busting time. I'm, I'm getting up there in age. Do I need less sleep? No, our need for sleep is actually innate genetically programmed. So it's not that our our need for sleep changes. It's just that the quality of our sleep often changes. And so then that affects, you know, our perception of need for sleep. Um, but, you know, I often make the analogy of bad sleep being like bad food. More is not better, you know. So if you're having bad sleep, Interesting. More so if I got bad really sleep, good sleep is not good. <laughs> if I got very good sleep, three hours would be enough? So I often find, actually, when we treat a person's obstructive sleep apnea, for example, that the actual number of hours that they are in bed trying to sleep um, is reduced. Yeah, it's very interesting. Dr. Siobhan Kuhar joins us today. Let's go to a couple of emails, and then we'll hit the phones at 800-348-2551. Weisenheimer Nick writes in, does sleeping with the radio on generally affect dreams or overall sleep quality, uh, or is it like white noise? What if it's the BBC? So it is not recommended that um, voices be that background sound that you sleep with. And it's in part because our brains are not completely off when we're asleep. There's a part of the brain that still listens to the environment. You know, think about how in you know, our early days, we did not always sleep in safe environments. We may have slept outdoors in caves, no windows, no doors, no locks. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) And so there's a part of our brain that makes sure that the environment we're sleeping in is safe. And so, yes, um, voices, uh, conversations, all of that um, can be incorporated into dreams and can cause um, disruption of sleep for sure. You know, there's the old myth that if you're studying for a test or something, you play 
recordings of, of information. Is there any truth to that, that you can sort of sponge up information while asleep? So I'm not aware of that per se, but I will say that um, it is known that sleep is very important for memory consolidation and learning. And so there have been studies that have looked at intermittent napping while studying, like in preparation for a big exam or that kind of thing. You know, studying, sleeping, studying, you know, giving the brain sort of a chance to process um, that information. Hmm. All right. This is from Laura. We'll do two more emails and then hit the phones. Promise. 800-348-2551. Laura says, is it a matter for alarm if after many decades breathing through my nose while sleeping, I now regularly breathe through my mouth while sleeping. I wake up in the morning with an unpleasantly dry mouth as a result. Otherwise, I sleep deeply and awake rested. An ENT has told me that with my particular anatomy, I'm unlikely to ever suffer from sleep apnea. And that's from Laura. Sure. So breathing through the nose is actually the preferred way to breathe when you're sleeping. So we were basically designed to breathe through our nose while we were sleeping. So that helps to make the flow of air more direct um, into the lungs. Um, It also helps to warm and filter and humidify the air that you're breathing. It's also really not good for your teeth to to have a dry mouth. Yeah, you make a point. Okay, this is from Fran, and then we'll hit the phones with Dr. Siobhan Kuhar. Fran writes, a middle-aged family member wakes up during the night often, two to three hours after going to bed, then again around 3 to 4 a.m. No problem falling asleep. Room is dark, no technology to distract, exercises before dinner. Any suggestions other than medications for sleeping through the night? Sure. Um, Well, we talked a little bit earlier about using background sound, and I I am a big advocate of using some monotonous sound for the brain to listen to. So whether that's a sound machine, you know, where it could be rain or the ocean or what have you, just not voices in general. You know, uh, I've seen ads for pink, brown, uh, white noise, all these different forms of noise. It's an app or something. Have they done any studies on the quality of the sound and its effects on sleep. So it has more to do with the frequency of the sound. Um, So yes, there have been studies to look at, um, I think it's 50 hertz. I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the exact frequency. That's a low pitch. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and the binaural beats. um, You know, interesting things happen in our brains when we're sleeping. We go from neurons firing sort of all over the brain, you know, um, and when you look at an EEG, you see a very mixed frequency, you know, on that. And then when sleep ensues, um, of course, we have various stages, but what you're really looking at on an EEG is where millions of neurons are firing synchronously. So there's a synchronization of parts of the brain that occurs during sleep, And um, it's thought that some of these um, frequencies may help in terms of synchronizing, you know, slow wave sleep or, you know, uh, that sort of thing. I'm I'm a big proponent of of having that background noise. I have a small fan on my desk, Mm -hmm. which is partially to keep me cool. And the other, it's just to keep it quiet. I I, I don't, of course, I'm fairly deaf anyway at this age, but it's... 
it helps you you focus a little bit. It does. It helps, I think, also distract you from maybe sounds externally, like, you know, traffic or dogs barking or, you know, the neighbor coming in late or yeah. what have you. Yeah. So it gives your brain something more monotonous, safe uh, to listen to. And this has been known for some time. When our yes. kids were little, we bought little baby noise generators and it had babbling brooks and things like that. Sure. Kids slept very well. They slept like babies, but they were babies. <laughs> Let's go to Cindy in Pittsfield. Cindy, you're on. Hi. I apologize if this question has been asked and answered already, but uh, I started to use a CPAP machine um, just when a pandemic started. And uh, I have to say that my sleep has been great. And I think that it really did help me through uh, a time when I had COVID. But um, I've noticed that over the last three years now, my teeth have been shifting, my front teeth. I'm getting a gap between my teeth that I never had before. I went to the dentist and the orthodontist, periodontist, ENT. Uh, nobody uh, can determine what's happening except that I have maybe always had it, but they're saying that I have tongue thrust. And because I have to keep my mouth closed with the, uh, I use the nasal pillows for the CPAP. Um, that my tongue is pushing constantly against my teeth and shifting them. Is that a common um, I would side ass- effect of, sure. of using the machine? I wouldn't say that it's common, but when you were describing this, that was the first thing that came to mind for me. Um, when I've come across that, I've recommended um, seeing a dentist and getting a, um, a bite guard, a night guard. You know, basically to keep the, the teeth in alignment. So, you know, I wouldn't think that the, that the pushing of the tongue forward, if you have a night guard that's properly fitted, should have um, an impact there. And there are a lot of different styles of night guard. Some will be the entire upper and lower. Some just fit on maybe two teeth on the upper or the lower. So, um, you know, that would be the, one of the first things. Um, secondly, okay. you know, sometimes the mask itself can put some uh, pressure, but I wouldn't have expected it to be sort of a, a, a pushing forward of your teeth. You know, I would have thought, you know, maybe a, a pushing back of the teeth if it were pressure from the mask itself. Um, we see that uh, sometimes um, in children who have been on uh, pap therapy because of um, primarily because of other medical issues that they have. All right, Cindy, thanks a lot for the call. 800-348-2551. What's the youngest patient, uh, without violating HIPAA, that you treat with a CPAP? Sure. So I actually don't uh, treat too many children um, any longer. Um, Are they allowed to have CPAPs? They are. Um, It's very difficult to have a child, um, you know, acclimate to a PAP device, but it certainly can be done. Um, There are, you know, specially fitted masks for young children and all that. In general, I'll recommend that they see a pediatric sleep specialist, and there's an excellent one at um, St. Peter's Garrick Appleby. Okay, let's go to line four here, and Larry's in Sheffield. Larry, you're on. Yes, hi. Uh, I've been using a CPAP machine for three to four years, and I recently discovered after they keep bugging you to sell a new machine or a new uh, mask and hose and everything every three months, it's a real insurance racket, 
But it happened to come up that uh, the pressure is at four for me for 45 minutes, and then it goes to 10. And it's like, whoa, I never knew that. But I find that after 45 minutes, if I wake up, it's, it's it tends to leak around the mask. So I have to push the machine off and put it back on, and then that goes back to four. And I complained. I said, well, how do I change this? And they said, well, you have to have another sleep study to do it. Does that make sense? So it's Reliable not- is the name of the company, by the way, that keeps bugging you every three months all right, to all buy right. a new one. Okay, go. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, you, you know, the... the- um, most insurances will allow for replacement of mask uh, tubing filters every three to six months. That's a pretty standard thing, but it doesn't necessarily mean with all masks um, and with all people that they require that frequency. However, depending on the mask type, um, some the um, interface is not meant to hold up or it's not designed to hold up. And that's, you know, the, how should I say, the razor blade, right, you know, uh, phenomenon of you need to get a new (laughs) razor for your razor head. But um, it sounds like you're on a CPAP that has a a ramp uh, that starts at four. And after 45 minutes, what's happening is it's anticipating that you will have fallen asleep in that 45 minutes, and then it's going to the pressure that was determined in your titration study at the sleep lab. So it is true that if you need to consider changes in pressure with a CPAP, continuous positive airway pressure, that you need to go to the lab to figure out what that new pressure will be. And you know, one thing that you may want to ask is whether the device that you have has the ability to be programmed as an auto-adjust, because many of them do now. And so it may be the case that um, you would, uh, you know, be a bit more comfortable on an auto-adjust. But I would have to really, you know, uh, defer to your sleep doc, because obviously, you know, I'm not your treating doctor and, uh, you know, can't can't Answer do it over all the, the phone. questions. Right. Right. Larry, thanks a lot. 800-348-2551 is our number. It's Medical Monday. We're joined by Dr. Siobhan Kuhar of Albany ENT and Allergy Services. Remember the question we had, uh, email question from Laura, and it was about breathing from the mouth. And she wrote back and said, you know, maybe I guess I wasn't clear with the question. I'm hoping to learn how to stop breathing through my mouth. Uh, you have any suggestions? So first of all, you know, I guess the question that came to my mind was why you were no longer able to breathe well through your nose, whether you've developed allergies, whether you have, you know, chronic congestion, nasal polyps, things along those lines. I mean, I would suggest, you know, first talk to your primary care physician. They may want to try a a trial of perhaps a nasal spray to help with nasal congestion, but otherwise maybe seeking uh, ENT evaluation with a local provider to see whether there's something anatomically happening there. Um, Aside from that, um, patients have trained themselves uh, to breathe through the nose, um, but First, you have to have a uh, adequate nasal airway. Um, so you don't recommend taping your mouth shut with duct tape. So not duct tape. Okay, all right. <laughs> but there are tapes that are available that have um, vents 
as well. So it helps to kind of support the mouth as being closed, but also, you know, allows some ventilation there. Um, There are chin straps, uh, things along those lines. But I would first pursue why are you, you know, just recently unable to breathe through your nose. And, um, you know, that would probably be the better long term strategy. Number to call here is 800-348-2551. Dr. Siobhan Kuhar joins us. Janet's in Monterey. Janet, you're on. Hi, can you hear me? Yep, go ahead. Um, I recently started this night laze treatment for sleep apnea. I was wondering if you've ever heard of it. It's a kind of laser that they put down your throat to uh, tighten the muscles in there. So it's not something that um, I've certainly ever performed. I have heard of it. I really don't know enough about it, though, have not uh, read any papers regarding it as a treatment. Um, Is it administered through your dentist? Yes. Uh, I had tried a dental appliance, and I don't know, it seemed like it wasn't fitting very well, and my doctor had retired. So, yeah, I I was trying this. it's hard to tell if it's working or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of interesting. It's three treatments spread out over uh, nine weeks. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just don't uh, have any experience okay. with that. It's not something that was uh, part of certainly uh, our training, but it hasn't been something that's been sort of, um, how should I say, brought to uh, ENT sleep um, attention, At really. At least yet. So yeah. we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's yeah. primarily through dental. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it very much. And now we'll go to Madam Morris. And Jim, you're on. Uh, what type of pill is uh, best to counteract sleep apnea? What type of pill is best to counteract sleep apnea? I'm sorry, pill or pillow? Pillow. Oh, pillow. It pillow. says pill here on the screen. Oh. All right, there, there you go. <laughs> okay. Um, so um, a pillow that um, can... Also raise your shoulders like a wedge, a wedge pillow. So I don't know if you've ever spent any time in a hospital bed, but um, in hospitals they have the adjustable beds that bring the shoulders up, and that's a way of opening the airway. So a pillow that raises the shoulders, you know, raises the uh, head above the chest, um, you know, can help to um, reduce the severity of sleep apnea, but... um, you know, certainly I would um, still recommend a follow-up uh, if you're going to pursue positioning for sleep apnea with home testing or, or a way of determining that it's really achieving that goal. Jim, thanks for the call. We'll take a break here. We're joined by Dr. Siobhan Kuhar of Albany ENT at Allergy Services. The number is 800-348-2551. Steely Dan guitarist John Harrington there, time on my hands. You know, not only is he a gifted player, but he gets the best electric guitar sound I think I've ever heard. That's beautiful stuff. 800-323-9262. No, that's the fun drive number. Darn it. I did a show on Friday right (laughs) after the fun drive and didn't do it once. And now here it is Monday. (laughs) And the number to call for this program is 800-348-2551. Don't call that other number because Dina in the front office will not be happy. So 
Call 800-348-2551. Dr. Kuhar, are you a, a proponent of um, melatonin? It can be helpful. Um, I think the the problem that um, people will sometimes run into is a couple. Um, first of all, melatonin is basically supplementing something the brain already naturally makes. And many times people will think more is better, and it's not. Uh. So melatonin can be helpful, but it's not a sledgehammer. And um, it's very important to always take it at the first, you know, at the same time every night prior to sleep. Why? Because it can linger in the body. So you, it's part of the transition, the brain secreting melatonin for sleep onset. It's not a sleep maintenance hormone. I've tried it a couple of times. It, it works for me. Good. And, you know, there's kind of like the uh, melatonin hangover a little bit when you wake up. You're a little groggy, and then you, you have a cup of coffee. You're fine, right? <laughs> no? Right. Again, I would always take it at the same time. About half an hour before bed. I can't get you to say anything wrong. Dr. Siobhan Kuhar joins us today. She is very much on point. Let's go to Lee in Loudonville. Lee. Hi. Thank you, uh, Ray and Dr. Kuhar. I know that this show is really about sleep apnea, but I'm wondering if I can ask a question about middle ear myoclonus. Sure. Okay. Thank you. So, um, it's been about a year. I have not seen a specialist. It just bothers me. And it comes and goes. Uh, is there any reason I should see a specialist other than just because it's bothering me and maybe they'll, I don't know. I've, from what I've read, there's really no cure for it, per se. So middle ear myoclonus, just to kind of give a, a you know, general description, and correct me if this is not what you're experiencing, but it's uh, a kind of a repetitive, uh, almost fluttering sound in the middle ear from um, uh, basically um, a spasm of a small muscle in the, in the inner ear, um, the stapedius. So, um, but it can be seen, uh, for example, in other potentially movement disorders. So it kind of depends on the severity, whether it's something that's worsening. But, um, you know, uh, another kind of re related myoclonic uh, phenomenon would be like blepharospasm, where people will have like that uh, sensation of twitching at the corner of the eye. Um, but mm. it's basically at that same sort of um, muscle uh, firing frequency. Um, so again, depending on how bothersome it is, whether it's something that's just very intermittent, um, or progressive, I would, you know, that's, that's where, you know, my decision tree kind of breaks down in terms of maybe we should have you see a neurologist, you know, kind of thing, or, you know, uh, pursue this further. All right. Great. That's helpful. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks, Lee. 800-348-2551. I'm reading it now, so I don't do it again. Uh, 800-348-2551. Dr. Siobhan Kuhar joins us today. And to Ulster. And Ted, you're on. A pleasant afternoon, y'all. Hello. Um, you're not dealing with the um, esophagus food tube? The esophagus food tube. No. I mean... Yes. Okay. Um, sleep, I've had a lot of difficulties sleeping, being bipolar, and I used to use, years ago, 
Sorry, sorry about that. Caller interrupt us. Oh, um, I used to use nice. years ago. Um, used to use years ago. Um, what you call it? Um, alternate natural breath. And now um, I've heard of this Navy Seal technique, which seems to help. Um, it's um, breathing in through your mouth as if it's going to your brain, and out through your fingertips, and then into your chest or your heart, and then out through your feet. Has anyone heard of that? I'm really not familiar with that. I'm sorry. All right, man. Sorry about that. 800-348-2551 is the number. This email from Gene. What about the apnea mouth guard? I have moderate obstructive apnea. I cannot tolerate a CPAP. I have an appointment for an evaluation. Is this device probably a waste of one to 2000 bucks? And that's from Gene. So we were talking about this a little bit earlier in the in the show. Um, they're called mandibular advancement devices, and they... and Patients can be very successful with them, um, but you're correct. They can be um, quite expensive, um, and it is very. But it is very important to do this through a dentist or an oral surgeon. And I say that because of the um, possibility um, of them shifting teeth and also putting strain on the temporomandibular joint. So it is very important to have a well-fitted device for long-term use. Having said that, there are some over-the-counter devices that I will sometimes recommend for patients to try just to get a sense of whether or not they can actually sleep with something Uh, in their mouth. Um, And they are much less expensive, and they're, they're, um, how should I say, moldable because you heat them up in water and you put them in. So like athletic mouth guards for kids. Similar to that, but they're actually adjustable to bring the lower jaw forward. Again, I'm not advocating that they be used for long-term usage, but I think if you've never used any kind of night guard or had a retainer and have no idea whether or not you can actually sleep with something in your mouth, yeah. um, it's not not the worst idea to go there first. Okay, doke. This is from JP. I'm wondering if there are any particular allergens flying around right now. I'm sneezing constantly and have a very plugged sinus situation. Any thoughts? So this past year, actually the past two years, have been a real problem for us for mold year-round. And whenever you have dead stuff, dead leaves, uh, debris on the ground, and you have moisture, you will have sporulation. You will have spores that are released. Um, The highest times of day would be early morning, late evening, um, but mold has definitely been a problem. Seasonally, it's more typical for early spring and um, late fall. But as I mentioned, because we've had kind of milder times during the winter, like today, um, you know, mold has been a real problem for folks. All right. This last email for now, and then we'll go back to the phones. 800-348-2551. This one's from Ryan. A couple days ago, I sneezed too hard and held it in, and I heard a snap, and my throat hurts like a sore throat. It got a little better about a day or two later than uh, yesterday. Wait a minute. It got better a day or two later than yesterday. Oh, then yesterday, I see, there's no comma. Then yesterday I swallowed and I heard it snap again. And wow, it hurts like crazy. What did I do to myself with that sneeze? Should I go see a doctor? I would go to an ENT and um, get evaluated and we'll basically assess the throat and the muscles around the larynx. It sounds like you may have kind of pulled a muscle, Ouch. so to speak. Okay. Yeah. Well, you really can't do anything about that, right? Um, sometimes. You know, um, there are 
um, of course, anti-inflammatories. Yeah. There's, yeah. Okay. So. All right, let's go back to our phone lines and to beautiful northern Westchester. Cookie, you're on. Hi. Um, I wake I awaken every two to three hours to urinate, and that is not good for memory. The urology meds have not worked. Lexapro helps me go back to sleep, and I, that's a new thing for me to be on. Um, and it had not, like, I could not go back to sleep prior to you using it. What do you think I should do? So I think, um, you know, certainly it's important to keep in mind that we sleep in cycles. So every 90 to 120 minutes, we actually go into a, a wake uh, uh, phase. And some people are aware of being awake, and they might get up, get a drink, go to the bathroom, or others might just keep their eyes closed, roll over, that sort of thing. Um, so it's, I think there is a certain amount of normal sort of cyclical nature to sleep that allows for, free, you know, for these awakenings every 90 to 120 minutes over the course of the night. But um, if a person is doing that, but then this becomes problematic with regard to inability to get back to sleep, then I think, you know, certainly the best treatment path is always trying to figure out what what other underlying problems. And it sounds like you have been pursuing that. You saw the urologist making sure that, you know, there wasn't some issue with your bladder. Um, you're on uh, Lexapro, which, you know, um, of course, helps with um, mood disorders. So I think, you know, your, the, the strategy that you've employed is helpful. Now, you know, is there anything else that may be contributing that, you know, you haven't considered? Chronic pain. Do you need a new mattress? You know, is your, the temperature in your room, you know, uh, uh, comfortable? Um, we often tell patients, try to create that cool, dark, quiet place for the best sleep environment. You know, I often, you know, say, well, think of a cave and put a bed in it. <laughs> That's ah. sort of your ideal sleep environment. But... Um, you know, again, I would just continue to explore other things that could be, you know, um, disrupting your sleep. Is your dog coming or cat coming in and jumping on the bed? You know, they, they yeah. can sometimes be a bit nocturnal. Um, is it the neighbor, you know, uh, driving in in the middle of the night? Is it what have you? Um, so this is where maybe sound machines can be helpful as well. Or even a fan, well, right? I right. I didn't know that a mattress I do have an old mattress. Would that work? And what should the temperature be in your room at night? Sure. So ideally about, um, you know, uh, 70 degrees or even a little cooler, 68 to 70 would be ideal for sleep. Okay. Cookie, thanks a lot for the call. Appreciate it. Now, in your experience, doctor, and I'm sure there's no, well, maybe there's some scientific uh, exploration of this. My theory has always been you dream more in colder temperatures. True, not true. I have not heard that. Really? Is this my discovery? It's true. <laughs> Maybe you sleep more comfortably, and so you're getting into more of the dream sleep, which we consider our REM sleep. Okay. But, um, you know, REM, you know, just as I had mentioned before, you know, is part of that sleep cycle. It comes at the end of every cycle, just before the next wake. Ah. Um, so at the end of every 90 to 120 minutes, you have a REM period. 
but the amount of REM increases over the course of the night, so it becomes a larger proportion of the sleep. This is why we typically, you know, in the absence of an alarm waking us up during whatever stage of sleep, we'll wake out of a dream um, because we wake at the end of a sleep cycle. So those who experience sleep paralysis or night terrors, that happens right at the end of the the REM cycle, right as people are waking up and they're halfway there? Sleep paralysis um, is pretty rare um, outside of narcolepsy. And sleep paralysis occurs um, in narcolepsy um, at either the onset or the offset of sleep. Uh, Yeah. Interesting. So. All right. So piggybacking off Cookie's question about getting up to go uh, wee-wee in the middle of the night, this email from Joel. As a geriatric male who gets up to go potty a couple of times at night and is not all that great a sleeper, would melatonin cause us to sleep through an accident? I've never heard that. Okay. Fair enough. All right, Joel, let us know how you do. 800-348-2551 is the number. Back to the phones we go to East Fishkill. Annette, you're on. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. You're on. So my husband... Hello? Hello. Go ahead. Okay. My husband's on a CPAP machine, um, and he has good nights and bad nights with two events or ten events. We can't figure out why these, some are good and some are bad. So I heard of this Servi neck, um, Servi correct neck brace. I don't know if that's something that we should look into, if that might help. So I'm sorry, but I'm not familiar with that. Um, But... Um, is it meant to, yeah, I, I just have no experience align with that. <laughs> it aligns your neck. Oh, I see. Okay. okay. Well, no, so you, well, I think if he, you know, if he finds it, uh, you know, more comfortable and he, um, I, I guess, you know, I could imagine that it could potentially stabilize his airway more so that maybe the airway is more consistently mm. in one okay. position. Um, but, um, you know, it's it's not uncommon to have night-to-night variation in the apnea-hypopnea index, even on uh, PAP therapy. Mm. Um, even, you know, even in the, um, you know, in the ideal setting of a PAP device. Um, however, um, if other things are causing sleep disruption, that will sometimes drive up the apnea-hypopnea index as well. If the person is awake a lot uh, throughout the course of the night, maybe because of underlying pain issues or things like along those lines. Okay. Uh, thanks, Annette. Appreciate the call. Now, quickly to East Hampton, Massachusetts. Alex, you're on. Uh, hi. Um, I am uh, a user of a CPAP, and I often, when I'm traveling, if I'm in, if I'm traveling in a car trip, I'll take the I'll take the machine with me and put it in the trunk or something and. But when I'm traveling and I have to fly or have to pack a bag, and these, the machine is just too big, so I'm sometimes I just go without it. But I'm I've seen things like these uh, mouth guards, I think you mentioned, and then these uh, chin straps and other things. And plus, I see some uh, travel uh, CPAPs that are, but they're kind of expensive. So I'm wondering, doctor, what you would recommend to your patients who, uh, when they are traveling and they need to travel light. Sure. Well, you know, a lot of it really depends on the severity of the sleep apnea to start with. Um, if a person has more mild to moderate sleep apnea, then, um, or we find by looking at their sleep study that their sleep apnea is purely, you know, or primarily positional, meaning 
um, primarily uh, sleep apnea on their back, then sometimes we'll use a body positioning device. Um, they make these belts that you know can be easily packed, or you could use a tennis ball and some duct tape to prevent yourself from sleeping on your back. For more moderate to severe or certainly severe sleep apnea, then it really depends. If the if the pressure requirement on the PAP device is relatively low, but the sleep apnea is severe, then that is a situation where I will often recommend perhaps getting a mandibular advancement device made for travel. But I will tell you that the mandibular advancement devices can be as costly or sometimes even more than the um, than the portable PAP devices. Uh. So you might want to maybe explore both and then decide. I mean, you know you can wear a PAP device. You know, I don't know whether you have any experience with oral appliance therapy, um, but... Okay. Um, you know, again, very individual decision. Well, we're almost out of time here, uh, Dr. Siobhan Kuhar. But if you traditionally uh, use a CPAP and you're traveling and you can't carry it, can you just sleep sitting up? You can, propped up. I mean, that will always help. Yeah. Being up and in general on your side is better than being flattened on your back. Okay. Well, we are done here. Dr. Siobhan Kuhar of Albany ENT Analogy, well done. Thank you for being here. So based Thank on you, the Ray. current schedule, we'll probably see you in two years, yeah? <laughs> uh, support comes from Hudson Valley Hospice House, providing a modern and peaceful setting, offering end-of-life care in the Hudson Valley, hvhospice.org slash hospicehouse. Once again, thanks to Dr. Siobhan Kuhar of Albany ENT and Allergy Services for being here today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for staying awake during the program. I love that. And uh, thanks to Zach Malloy, our engineer. Thanks to... Joe Makowitz, who screened the calls after Mr. and Mrs. Makowitz spent a good portion of last week volunteering on the fun drive. Thank you both very much. I'm Ray Graff. Tomorrow we'll talk climate change and green energy with Dan Delury. That's tomorrow at 2. We'll see you then.